I think we need to continue exploring the duality of of artificial intelligence and you know minimize the bad and maximize the the good. We have this kind of almost priesthood sense towards AI at this point that I don't think is is healthy, and that we need to get as many people that are that understand the development and safe application of these systems and. Will be a lot better for it um, as we move from uh, AI being something that uh, sits up on a pedestal to something that just lays through every other field of, uh, of research and engineering. Uh, we're going to see a, a great flourishing of society, and um, it's on us to, to make sure that that's a that's a correct statement. Thank you for joining Change I Am Possible, which is India's first feature tech podcast. And today, I'm really happy and delighted to have Mr. Sean McGregor, who is a machine learning architect at Centene. He is also developing the partnership on uh, AI's incident database and is working with the XPRIZE Foundation to structure the IBM Watson AI Prize, a, f- a 5 million contest for solving grand challenges with artificial intelligence. His technical work spans neural accelerators for energy efficient inference, deep learning for speech and heliophysics, and reinforcement learning for wildfire suppression protocols. Sean, it's a pleasure and honor to have you on Change the Apple Podcast. Thank you for taking time and being part of this conversation. So, yeah, so really excited for, for this. So, so, you are part of three excellent companies, each creating and accelerating artificial intelligence. So, can you start with giving a brief intro and your roles in these three separate organizations? Uh, first, thank you for. Uh, having me on today, and uh, uh, you know, sharing the company of all the uh, other auspicious people that you've had on your uh, podcast, and uh, uh, I guess to start off with uh, the uh, kind of a day job, uh, so to speak, is with the uh, Sentient Corporation, and uh, we are motivated by making uh, energy efficient neural network processors. So. Uh, there's this big problem in uh, neural networks at this point that uh, uh, which are really good at understanding the unstructured world, images, audio, and the like, where most of the solutions are very energy intensive. So uh, if you want to move uh, a neural network uh, out of the cloud, out of the data center into the real world, you have to really solve that energy intensity problem. And uh, uh, this is also a a fundamental problem in uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence. Uh, in general, where uh, we can do a great many things by just pouring energy, pouring effort into it. Uh, you can you can do a lot of smart things if you do a lot of uh, dumb things incredibly fast. And um, I, what, uh, what we have to do is get a lot smarter about it. And uh, part of that is uh, making our silicon architectures a lot more energy efficient, which is what I uh, do at Sentient, which is uh, building the machine learning systems around uh, our excellent hardware teams work where they they make it so that uh, you have like no overhead in the course of uh, computing a neural network. It's just computing a neural network, doing it efficiently. And uh, my job is to uh, build a lot of the infrastructure surrounding the uh, uh, the chip so that you're able to uh, train and ship a model and put it onto um, things like selling uh, cell phones and hearing aids and uh, and other things that really don't have a big battery, much less the uh, you know a nuclear reactor that uh, uh, flows into the the nearby uh, data center. Shortly before starting in Sentient, I I started as a, a lead technical consultant on the IBM Watson AIX Prize, which is a uh, 
Uh, I guess first to set off what is XPRIZE is a grand challenge science and technology organization. Basically, uh, it's built around incentivizing moonshots. Uh, in fact, one of the prizes was uh, a literal moonshot. And uh, um, I, that was the Google Lunar X Prize. My prize, though, which uh, I've worked on almost exclusively, has been the uh, essentially a prize in AI for good. So the teams weren't charged with uh, uh, going to the moon. They were told you need to do good and you need to use AI. It was a uh, challenge uh, agnostic and uh, technology specific prize in contrast to most of XPRIZE's prizes, which are challenge specific and uh, uh, technology agnostic and you can use any technology. Um, in that I've uh, had a uh, very interesting time bringing together a lot of the uh, judging modalities and uh, uh, working to uh, make it so the teams can be successful through this multi-year prize as they're competing for uh, $5 million. Uh, and we actually just recently announced the three finalists in the in the prize, which is uh, uh, quite exciting. Um, so people should, should watch out for uh, uh, the, fi the finals of that, which is going to be uh, uh, available online, and we, we hope people will uh, participate in, in the finals to uh, to the degree they're able to from home. Uh, and uh, th that has been uh, really an enlightening uh, venue for a lot of my, my work coming from grad school, which uh, was motivating um, uh, questions on, uh, like, what is for good, and how do you ensure that uh, uh, AI is benefiting people and society. Uh, and that's where I came to collaborate with the Partnership on AI right around the founding of this organization, which is a collection of the world's largest tech companies and uh, civil society organizations. Uh, so as, as part of that work, and uh, a thing that's been uh, a lot of my drive with the Partnership on AI has been developing a thing called the uh, Incident Database or the AI Incident Database. Uh, which is a collection of uh, really bad things that have happened as a result of uh, AI in the world. I, I myself am an optimist. I believe that AI can solve a great many of the problems in the world, but at the same time, we need to uh, record, analyze, adapt, and mitigate these uh, potential problems because uh, anytime you are making a computer system make decisions in the world and uh, uh, anytime it gets away from the person who originally created it and someone else is putting it into the world, you, you need to record the failures just as we record when, uh, when a plane crashes and uh, then learn from that plane crash to say like, okay, never again. Uh, the, uh, and we've seen through the last 50 years that uh, air travel has become uh, exponentially safer as compared to uh, when the jet age uh, first started. So... Yeah, like, sorry if that was a, a bit long-winded, but that's uh, that's kind of the three pillars of the moment and, uh, and where I'm sitting. Lovely. How cool is uh, that, Deshaun? Really, thank you for sharing your journey. And, and, you know, I've had a conversation with a few people vested in the space, you know, and most of them are really in awe of the technology and don't understand that, you know, we, we are sitting on a double-edged sword. It could go either way and the choice really depends upon us, you know. Uh, so, so the, what, whatever you described is super awesome with all the different companies, you know, right from sentient to building energy efficient chips to X prize, you know, sorting out and shaping those startups who are building like great companies, which can solve these 
humongous problems that's facing mankind and and you being one of those guys i've been trying to like you know pass out the 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 greatness from there it, it, it's how how cool is that you know and then uh, the partnerships on ai you know where you kind of un- understand that you know how important it is you know building a community because i think artificial intelligence is one of the the most scariest as one is the most awesome technology that mankind has ever seen right you know and it it can go either way and it really depends and and, and it can go both ways uh. yeah yeah, yeah it, yes yes exactly so so it is so very important for us to tread this path carefully and kind build a community where we engage everyone and nobody is left out you know because this what we built today will create a future and not many people are paying attention yes we are now pulling up these tech behemoths because only and only because that suddenly nations have understood that these tech companies are growing more powerful than nations you know and suddenly they going possibly i mean if if you so there there is a conversation which somehow i don't think there's any company tech company or any founder who starts with okay let's build something which is for bad you know they they have you know that whenever you start a company your desire and intent is to create something good but some somehow with technology when it starts growing it it, it starts you know it, it has the potential to completely go go or uh, go out of hand so right now you know when it comes to artificial intelligence there is so much hype which has been created by the media you know there's there's this uh, fiction narrative which is being created by the media and we all buy into it and and there is you know there's obviously the fact so as somebody who's vested in the space could you paint out the facts versus the the fiction and what also scares you of artificial intelligence and excites you of artificial intelligence sure i i, I think the the fiction that i'm most eager to dispel is the um the notion of ai today has some level of agency that arises above people and that uh when uh, when ai uh, goes wrong it's like the ai system's responsibility uh mo- most of the time it's uh i uh, it should be tied more appropriately to a person or an organization that it's not uh just something that uh arises out of the machine where that machine had agency and and doing the, the bad thing it's a, it's a human constructed thing at, uh, at this point it's not something that the ai is building itself and then that produces uh a runaway system that uh that then uh produces a unusual outcome uh so that that's the first point i i want to make there the scariest thing to me is um uh, some computer program that is completely separated and can't even be attributed back uh to a, a person or organization and uh really we we have a word for that uh that isn't uh, ai and the computer systems world it's a it's a virus it's a computer virus uh and we are going to see increasingly adaptive computer viruses and things that uh 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 are just uh moving through what is a a really poorly protected system of uh, of infrastructure uh without any uh, motive assigned to to people just uh 
that 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 is my primary concern uh, uh, when it comes to our uh, what's called a cyber physical infrastructure. Or as someone that has been engaged in optimization and uh, in my uh, current and, and past lives in various forms, uh, I just uh, have a unreasonable expectation. I think that uh, things be efficient and that people. Uh, and our systems are trending towards that efficiency, and the and uh, uh, that we we don't have the level of waste that that we have today. And um, the the nice thing about AI is uh, it's really decreasing the cost of of doing intelligent things and uh, and avoiding. Uh, the waste of resources, the waste of people's times. Uh, we can have such a, a flourishing of humanity if we are able to navigate this transition to um, uh, offloading more and more of our, our work onto uh, computer systems. Uh, and uh, I, I hope that we're able to navigate that uh, socially. Like, there's a there's a great amount of concern for uh, the future of work. What does work look like as we uh, lose more and more of what are the current jobs today? Um, but it, that that trans- transition is scary. Like I, I get that, but uh, uh, if we make that transition properly, uh, it's a good thing that uh, a lot of the uh, jobs that don't require you know like the thought, the whole human self to uh, to be invested in it don't actually uh, need to happen if people are then able to uh, devote themselves to the the things that uh, they find themselves to be more creative and more uh, uh, more thoughtful in of themselves. Uh, so I'm, I'm really hopeful for the future, but there, there are two different poles and uh, uh, we could land at uh, one or the other or both simultaneously. And I, I uh, really want to uh, uh, emphasize how important it is to to move towards that that better outcome for everyone. Right, right. Uh, you, you said that. I mean, you know, the, these systems are getting more efficient, and eventually, we'll be offloading more and more work on these computer systems, artificial intelligence. Now, obviously, it comes with it with, with its pros and cons. You know, I mean, uh, because of the pandemic today, uh, we have actually transitioned towards that. You know, unknowingly, unknowingly. You know, because suddenly the entire emerging technology is being you know looked at a lens which is more. Uh, uh, we, we are now talking about digital transformation, how emerging technologies could create impact, could, uh, you know, benefit enterprise and, and how, how the way we kind of work and stuff like that, you know, and then obviously because of the social distancing, most of the companies right now are looking at automation and then we just started on this path and eventually I guess, you know, when machines are, will become more and more efficient in, in, in the coming few years, a decade, Yes, I do see that the larger workforce will start getting redundant, whether that's a good thing or bad thing. I think it's a narrative with the government and the entire uh, community in, in the world needs to come together and kind of address because, you know, there is, if, if you see, we thrive on purpose and purpose work gives us purpose now. Is the world great where we only do creative things? It is debatable and that then I'm sure we can go on forever. But I, I, since I've been vested in the space, I do understand that how this growth of technology seems to be, I'm using the word inevitable, but it's, it is inevitable. And, and that 
path will lead towards more automation it will lead towards more job loss it it will lead towards a a drastic shift in a society now how do we handle that together and say kya not let, let the the people who are less privileged you know hold them and, and have maybe like a universal basic income or something that supports uh families and people will create a better world you know uh, so i think if we need to come together and definitely address this monster which is being unleashed upon us i, I use the term monster because technology is growing it can transform mankind but you know things like this if we don't have a common consensus or a, a framework on how do we address job loss and massive job loss which i don't think we we, we are addressing we we talking about it but i i don't see anybody addressing it not the government not the people not what what are your views on something like that a future where machines are getting more and more intelligent automation is is uh, is leaving us jobless i mean how do we solve that problem so for this i i think it's important we first look to the past and then we can look to the future and um i I think a good example of this is uh I I attended at one point a um I actually got my my PhD at a university that uh was formerly uh named an agricultural college. Um you know it, it was established to train people how to develop the land. Uh most people in the region were farmers and um I by the time I got there it was no longer called a agricultural college. Um it's a uh, a uh a land grant university still uh, which is a special term in the, in the United States for uh you know here's your land develop it uh but it's a land grant sea grant space grant uh all these other things layered on on top and um you know while there's still people that i knew that uh were like studying soil science and uh and all those agricultural elements that was really the minority of the university at this point and uh you know when they go out into the the world and they start doing uh soil uh soil samples and uh and and checking their uh their properties uh there's not that many people that are are tilling that land there's uh you know there's going to be a a robot effectively like those tractors they're robots uh they're just going back and forth in the US and uh there might be a person in there that hit a button to start the program and uh uh that's about it uh so you've gone from a, a period of time in the US when the majority of people were farmers uh or farmer line that's where all the wealth and uh, uh if you had told them that uh you know there's going to be this tractor and there's going to be this uh, integrated logistical system where uh each stage that formally involved 30 people is going to involve one person or or fewer uh, than one on average uh they would be very concerned they would be very scared and um i the what happened in the US and i i think that uh, uh india is likely going through a, a similar transition uh at this point is uh people moved to other jobs uh people started working on other things uh, you you have people that went from uh farming to uh industry and uh, uh then at that point when you have people gathered in cities you also have an easier time of uh, going up the educational ladder and and shifting into other work 
Um, where where we go from there to today, though, and where things are um, things are scary now, and where uh, AI is potentially scary is uh, let's just take one industry: um, autonomous driving. Uh, if uh, autonomous driving is solved in a big way, in the course of ten years, you're going to have uh, many millions of jobs uh, uh, eliminated potentially overnight because you'll just um, you'll have cars that uh, can do that work uh, very suddenly. So the the speed at which it happens is scary. It's it's not that um, uh, you have uh, a century of transition from uh, predominantly agricultural uh, to industrial. Uh, economy, it's that uh, it could potentially happen overnight. And I think that uh, every potential job that that would happen to is going to be a different story. Uh, and we know that at the end of that, we're better off. Like uh, if the people that are currently driving move into uh, uh, move into another another line of work that is currently underserved or uh, doesn't have enough uh, enough people doing it, then that's better for everyone. We get more of that other thing. Uh, so it, it's really the about the time to transition that we, we need to think about. And uh, I, the theory in the U.S. at least is that you you try and retrain people, which uh, I isn't isn't a great answer uh, for them, unfortunately, because uh, uh, people have a lot of pride in their work. Like you you do get to be um, a a very skillful trucker that can uh, really back the trailer in a, in, in complicated ways. I, it's, it's, it's very impressive. Uh, and to be told you don't need to be doing that anymore that, uh, and that you should retrain to do this completely other thing. It's hard. So short term, I, um, I, I don't have an easy answer. Long term, I, I think that we need to uh, figure out a way to get there because uh, as, a, as a species, we're, we're far better off when we do that. Right. Yeah. So, so I completely agree with you, Sean, when you say that we are better off with technology because it will play a huge role in, a, in an evolution and it, it will take us to the next step. But again, I do not agree because, I mean, unlike the, the example you gave me of whether it's the industrial revolution or agricultural revolution, it hit one specific sector. You know, somehow we are in this exponential. It was, growth. it was, it was the biggest uh, sector, though. It no, was, but, 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 was but it. you know, once, once we have an intelligent machine, what job is safe? So, so there is, uh, it, it will hit across whether you are a teacher, whether you are a musician. It, it's going to eventually even uh, create. There, there is already artificial intelligence agents which are creating music. You know, it, it can do a basic video editing and stuff like that. And these are, uh, you know. Uh, narrow AI machines, but eventually, I guess, which we, we humans, uh, as scientists, as a researcher, we, we thrive on purpose and a purpose is to create better. So we are yeah. hung up on creating better and better and better. And in that creating better, uh, what I see, I mean, I could be completely wrong. So I feel that it, it's not going to be one specific sector. It's not just going to be like drivers are going to ele be eliminated because of aut autonomous, uh, you know, cars coming in. But it's going to be across. And I don't think we have a, a, a meaningful answer to that huge problem. Now you are he heading the IBM Watson AI Prize, and I believe there were some somewhere around seven hundred applications, you know, for for this thing. So how difficult 
how painful was it to do the shortlist the the the, the semi final shortlist and also talk about some of the most promising startups uh, and the solutions um we've had uh, teams that have worked on uh really every conceivable problem and some that uh i never i never would have uh, uh thought of in uh, beekeeping um uh putting uh sensors into uh beehives and then detecting on the basis of the vibrations and temperatures and things of the hive what the what the health of the hive is like what's happening with the queen to uh, earthquake prediction uh other ones pertaining to resources and uh uh like efficient uh, logistics around disasters uh but coming now to the uh, the three final uh, teams first one is uh, AI Fred and they're actually in uh in medicine specifically uh mental health and one of the problems that you have in mental mental health uh, medication is it's a very tricky thing figuring out what uh, medications are going to work for someone and you often go through this cycle where uh you're you're trying one after another and you have to uh use that medication for months at a time sometimes before you figure out does this medication work for you and uh i think you um i think you typically figure out which uh medication is the right one for you around like the second or third try or at least at that point you know which one's better or worse than the others after you've cycled through them and um I, that's a um kind of a uh, misery inducing thing for people because uh you know if you're if you're getting uh medicated for um mental health issues you're probably not very happy until uh it starts working so if you're able to cut down that by uh by months or even just cut straight to the most effective one and find one that you weren't weren't going to find uh initially then you uh, uh you're happier uh you're uh more productive in society uh, uh everyone is really benefiting Uh so that that's AI for health. Uh the uh next one is uh, uh Marinus Analytics and uh uh this this one uh, uh really shows the uh kind of dual use of technology where uh technology can be used for uh evil and good because uh they actually uh do a lot of uh, uh like image biometrics and basically detecting uh people on images uh to to find them as they've been uh, uh sex trafficked so they'll uh, identify a person that's maybe gone missing some years prior uh, uh by uh, scraping you know like the darkest corners of the, the internet and uh, uh and then highlighting hey um uh, we found her uh and uh we need to rescue her and um uh, so they they've built a lot of tools around uh uh solving that problem and uh uh bringing people out of really uh, bad situations. Uh the final one is uh Azap malaria and uh I think that um most people uh don't need to be told that uh infectious diseases are bad uh particularly over the <laughs> over the the last year. Uh in this case uh Azap malaria is working on uh, uh mosquito abatement and making it so that uh when you have a uh, a place where uh a lot of uh, the malaria uh, uh vector mosquitoes are present uh you can more effectively uh find where the uh, stagnant water is that the mosquitoes are are uh breeding in from uh, satellite photography so you can identify on a map like oh there's 
uh, this this many hectares of uh, uh, exposed uh, stagnant water here and uh, uh, over there, and then also additionally doing the uh, planning and operational work for um, a mosquito abatement district or uh, whatever it is in the, the country is being applied. All three seem super, super exciting. So very excited about it. And I, I, I really believe that these hackathons and these prizes are a great way to show Stalin because uh, in the last few decades, and thanks to the internet, it has somehow kind of democratized knowledge, you know. I mean, and, and it's given everybody an opportunity to kind of, you know, you don't really, the geography does not matter. You could be sitting in any part of the world, but if you have the desire, intent to learn, you can connect with like minded and kind of figure and solve these grand problems and, you know, start a startup. And, and you said, you know, one of the startups we started specifically for the prize, you know, there is so much one one could do. And I hope that more companies adopt these. I, I hope that more countries adopt this because this is the only way to create an open platform and accelerate innovation. And I guess, I mean, like I said earlier, technology will play a huge role in creating the next uh, step of evolution. You have also been invested in building a reinforcement uh, learning framework for uh, wildfires. Would you like to talk a little bit about that? Uh, the way that... Um... Uh, we formulated it was uh, we're going to simulate a forest for uh, a century time span, and we are going to figure out what we should do over the course of that century in response to uh, wildfires. And um, while you generally uh, always want to suppress a fire if it's a, if it's a structure, if it's a building or uh, in a city and so forth, forests, it's not actually so clear. Um, there's very, There's a lot of forests, particularly in the U.S., where uh, more frequent, uh, uh, more frequent low intensity burns are a lot better than just letting the fuel build up to the point that it explodes. Uh, it also fire fosters, uh, species diversity on the landscape. It makes it, uh, uh, so that it's a healthier ecosystem. Uh, and actually there are some, um, harvest plans if you're harvesting timber where it, it is actually good to have periodic fires go through as long as it's not, uh, damaging the merchantable timber. So there, it's a really complicated, uh, problem where, um, a lot of different things to balance a lot of, uh, what we call in the reinforcement learning community, uh, a lot of different rewards, uh, or, uh, uh shaping functions or, um, uh, uh, there, there, there's a lot of different terms for it, but uh, it's a very, very complicated space, both in rewards and in simulation. So uh, I built a simulator, uh, simulated uh, um, 100 year time spans of, uh, of the forest uh, in terms of growth, fire spread, weather. Uh, it was a, it's a very uh, tangled beast that uh, uh, was also very uh, computationally intensive. So it would uh, take uh, quite a long time to train our reinforcement learning models. In fact, the algorithm we wanted to run, uh, if we had run it from uh, start to finish, would take more than a thousand years, uh, which was not what you want to hear when you're in a PhD program and you want to defend uh, a PhD in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, so I ended up working on a lot of ways of speeding up those algorithms, ways of speeding up the simulation. And uh, I really arrived at the end of the day at this uh, system where instead of taking a thousand years, I could optimize the policy in, inside the space of just a few minutes. And uh, I used that to 
uh, build a what's called a visual analytic environment. So a system where uh, you can really change the parameters of the system and re-optimize policies and uh, look at how those policies actually uh, shape the development of the world. And um, this is kind of very early in uh, what's become uh, quite in vogue in the uh, AI machine learning communities of uh, interpretable machine learning, uh, explainable AI. And um, I, I felt very powerfully the need to develop the explainable AI system because I, very often my firefighting uh, recommender system was telling people like, yeah, don't, don't fight that fire, let it go. And uh, when you go to a, a firefighter and you tell them, don't do your job, uh, they don't like that. Um, they, uh, even if they agree with you and like understand the, uh, the trade-offs and everything, um, they want to know why they want to uh, check your notes. You're just someone that's been in a lab. They've been out there fighting the fires and they understand the way it actually works. And that's where uh, developing this visual analytic environment was very important. Uh, both, um, both. So the, the people I was kind of you know, selling the solution to would, would trust it, uh, but also so that I would, so that I would believe that uh, uh, I haven't done a terrible thing to uh, millions of acres of land or, uh, something of that uh, nature. Now, we wish you the very best for it. And I'm sure this is you just scratching the surface. The more you kind of understand, there'll be like a better framework for it to kind of like be uh, something which is adds real, real world value. So you've also been part of Sentient Demo, which has been building uh, neural processors, you know. And uh, so so before you talk about it, why, what does it do? Why do we need it? Why is it unique? Could you talk about... Uh, Moore's law, because that seems to be slowing down at this this point in time. You know, so could you kind of like explain Moore's law and then get onto uh, you know explain Moore's law in the way like how would it impact us and how would it impact the the, the growth of technology? Sure. So uh, Moore's law is uh, I'm not going to give the the exact statement of it, but it's basically the doubling of uh, transistor density over every year and a half or so. Uh, then there was a corollary attached onto it after the fact of uh, or like a halving of price uh, uh, for for, uh, for things as well. And we we've been plugging along for you know decades at this point where. Uh, Moore's Law, who uh, I think it was Gordon Moore at Intel that uh, uh, made this prediction, and I don't think he was meaning it to be as much of a rule as it became, but uh, it was just really the uh, the way that you stayed ahead in, uh, in semiconductors was to just put more and more transistors in a smaller and smaller area. And that's a very uh, powerful thing for the speed of computation because uh, as you shorten the distances of those electrons are traveling and uh, uh, make the uh, uh, transistors smaller, uh, you don't have to wait as long. Like it, if, uh, you can pack more in, you can, you can do more, you can uh, uh, do more in parallel in, in some cases. And uh, we found that uh, it's getting more and more difficult to keep up with that. We kept pace with that for uh, many decades. Uh, but uh, the problem with, uh, uh, you know, saying that you're going to uh, have something like clockwork, eventually we knew or we know that eventually uh, Moore's Law will break down. I think we, I think it's a, official at this point, but uh, I believe there's still some debate over uh, whether that's organizational failings or, or whatnot. Um, 
Uh, and the problem is once we get there, uh, the chief engine in progress in computing has stopped. Like the, a lot of the assumptions over the things we should be working on stop being true. Uh, it doesn't make sense, for instance, for instance, to optimize a lot of our software systems and uh, especially our software systems for specific hardware, because if uh, by the time you complete that, uh, you have twice as fast of systems, uh, you no longer need to do those same optimizations or you should just shift to uh, the new platform and you're better off doing that. Um, so we, we've had this long period of time where we haven't been investing in uh, you know, really good uh, uh, co-design and hardware and software. And uh, I think we, we're now entering a, a period where it makes a lot more sense to, to think more complete stack. Think of uh, the software that runs on the, on the hardware and the, uh, uh, what uh, software is intended for the hardware that you're designing. And we, I think, are seeing a lot of leadership in particular out of Apple uh, in this regard. Like they took on uh, silicon design in a big way that uh, most hardware manufacturers do not do, at least not for the class of processors that they need. And they are see already seeing to uh, uh, reap the benefits of that because they are designing the operating system, they're designing all the software that runs the operating system, and they're bridging all the... Uh, uh, all that thought stuff of software down to the real gritty uh, silicon that's designed. Um, so um, this is where I, I think Sentient enters in as well, where uh, uh, machine learning people, pe people like me, uh, we have largely forgotten about electrical engineering as a field. We just decided uh, we'll rely on Moore's law. We don't need to talk to them. Uh, they they have weird units for things like Hertz and uh, and all that. Uh, that just sounds painful. I don't want to uh, deal with that unit. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna deal with my uh, loss functions and uh, uh, my uh, back propagation. I have my own my own problems to deal with, and we'll just trust that it's gonna run on the cloud where it's gonna run in. Uh, um, uh, running this infinite uh, power and energy and uh, scalable cluster where we're going to uh, run it uh, across uh, uh, 10,000 different GPU nodes because I'm uh, uh, working for a major corporation that has a near infinite uh, uh, compute budget. A lot of the fundamental advances we need because we are hitting into this, this wall of uh, now we need to develop hardware that's better for the task and not hardware that's better at doing everything. Uh, when you specialize hardware, you can make it uh, more powerful for the task while making it less power consumptive. And um, I, I think Sentient is pushing very hard on the other side of the equation of how do we make it as energy efficient as possible. And uh, we found that you can get uh, many orders of magnitude improvement of, uh, of energy efficiencies just by saying, this chip is going to compute a neural network. Like that is its purpose. And um, I, all the electrons are going to be dedicated to, to computing the, uh, uh, the neural network. And that's where uh, we started off um, uh, about four years ago uh, at this point and um, uh, produced our first mass market chip and have shipped uh, more than 10 million units at this point, which is uh, incredible for something that uh, uh, just does neural networks. like. Neural networks are going out in the world in a, in a much real, much more real way. Would, would you like to talk a little bit about the applications of these new research? 
Sure. So neural networks are very, very good at uh, processing uh, what's called unstructured information, uh, audio and uh, video images, uh, sensor inputs. It's basically anything that uh, if someone told you, uh, uh, describe, uh, write a computer program that tells me whether uh, something is a cat or a sailboat, and your job was to go to each of the color values and uh, every way that a cat and a sailboat could uh, present themselves. It's actually a really difficult thing. Um, if you go back to early in the course of AI, there's uh, some grad students that were assigned to, to solve this problem, I think in like the 60s or 70s or so. And uh, they thought it would be practically the level of difficulty of a summer project, but uh, it actually ended up taking uh, like 30 or 40 years to, to solve it in, in a real way. And uh, that's because uh, hardware actually needed to catch up with, uh, hardware and data needed to catch up with uh, the problem. And uh, so neural networks very good at processing uh, uh, things like images and uh, Sentient is uh, really carved out uh, its like starting niche and um, uh, audio uh, signal processing. So uh, detecting what words are in a um, continuous speech. So uh, a neural network could be applied to what I'm saying right now and transcribing the whole thing. Uh, all, all those systems at this point are, are built on top of neural networks. And um, th this is where there's a great opportunity for, for Sentient and uh, moving the processor from the cloud into things like cell phones and, and hearing aids and the like, that uh, most of the unstructured world is out here. Uh, we, um, uh, we, we don't really carry a data center with us. Uh, like you can send, send or backhaul uh, all, your, all your data up to the cloud and get a response back, but uh, uh, that's energy intensive, uh, drains your battery very quickly. And it is also um, not great for, for privacy and, and related properties as well. So I'm quite eager to move as much as possible out of the cloud into our uh, consumer electronic devices where it's a thing you own that you get to dictate the terms of uh, if it's run uh, rather than uh, everything going to a mysterious place. I've been invested in virtual reality and I've, I've been invested in it since 2016. And at that point in time, we built our own 16 camera rig. Google was doing building their array, which is like a Odyssey, it's a 12 camera rig, it's a stereoscopic camera. And we built an, a 16 camera rig. And at that point in time, everything was so difficult, stitching those video footage together, you know, to for the stereoscopic view. And everything was so cumbersome and cut to like just uh, five years, uh, you know, things have grown exponentially you know we have these cameras which are cheaper we have software which helps you edit and stuff like that so so what i'm trying to say is the technology is going exponentially now somehow we've been in the narrow space you know when it comes to artificial intelligence so there are these certain bunch of people who believe that you know in another couple of decades or maybe the century we might have machines that could have human level intelligence now there is some serious really serious researchers, scientists, companies vested in the space like DeepMind, OpenAI, you name it, Rick Sutton, and some really, really, you know, deep thinkers. What are your views on artificial general intelligence? A, could you describe artificial general intelligence? And what would be the frameworks if we have to achieve ADI? 
So artificial general intelligence is um, uh, being close to what we actually think of as uh, intelligence in people. It's uh, uh, it's able to independently learn. It's able to uh, uh, do. It's able to do more than originally taught. And uh, this is where um, there's also people talking about uh, potential like runaway. Like it learns so fast that uh, we can't recognize it within a, within a, a day because it just. Uh, um, kind of bootstraps and uh, and builds off of itself. I think it's pretty clear that that is possible, or at the very least, uh, we have an example architecture in the world of uh, of general intelligence in the, in the human brain. So conceivably, we should be able to uh, create an artificial form of that if we if we're able to just create a um, uh, like a, a clone effectively of uh, of the human brain in, in some form. Uh, so yes, I, I would argue it, it's possible. Um, the the thing I, I think I want to emphasize though is uh, while while people say uh, while people say they are working artificial general intelligence, uh, one of two things is happening there. Uh, either they are working on a component or an aspect of uh, of AGI that uh, they see as important. So. Uh, some element of reasoning that uh, one believes to be linked to uh, artificial general intelligence, um, or I, I, for the for lack of uh, uh, a better word, and at this moment they are effectively a, a crackpot. Like they, you don't you don't go straight to uh, another. Uh, solar system uh, on the basis of your your backyard tinkering like the there are, I won't say it's impossible uh, you know it, it could happen they could have uh, such a like a virtuous breakthrough that uh, that happens but uh, if uh, if the logic of the person that's taking the incre incremental approach is correct and that they have to figure out how to solve that more limited problem um, uh, if you haven't been able to solve that more limited problem before the bigger one, uh, then uh, you're in bad shape. It's um, it's a uh, it's almost always better to uh, get your get your bearings and to uh, figure out what the elements are if you're trying to do before you go go straight uh, shooting out of the solar system. So. Um, yeah, did, did that did that cover all the, the elements for you there? <laughs> yeah, so, so I'm, I'm going to linger on this subject a little bit more. So you mentioned cloning human brain could be uh, one, one of the one one of the you know route, route uh, or path ahead. Now uh, I think back in early 2010, uh, there, there was this uh, connecting project where uh, you know. Uh, some engineers kind of scanned uh, or mapped the entire uh, cognitive structure of a C. elegant worm. C. elegant worm is somewhere around, I think, roughly around 302 odd neurons. And they, they kind of uh, captured the entire data and, and, and they put it on a connectome, a, a, a digital uh, platform. And it actually behaved exactly like its physical version. The digital copy was behaving exactly like that. So in theory, if we can do it with 300 and 
you know, two odd neurons, we should be able to do with our 80 billion and 100 billion synapses. Now, I know, obviously, there's like a huge, huge, you rightfully pointed out, you know, we're tinkering around the backyard to go into the net. It is maybe that that's like kind of the metaphor for that, you know, but somehow, I, my perspective, I don't think that it's impossible. If you feel the same, who, according to your peers, are asking the right questions or, or, or at least at the right path to uh, artificial general building an artificial general intelligence system? One, one uh, argument I like that, uh, uh, that comes from uh, uh, Max Welling um, is uh, that the energy efficiency of the human brain is so high as compared to our uh, silicon uh, computer realizations that if we were to try and scale up to the human brain, uh, that we um, we don't have enough energy, or at least it would be truly immense to to make that happen. And uh, uh, th th this is where we we haven't been thinking about about power for so long, but. Uh, um, the people I, I personally take most seriously are the ones that are uh, figuring out how to um, uh, really do a lot of the kind of supercomputer work, but uh, uh, in a way that uh, uh, is also energy efficient. Like uh, you have to uh, design the whole whole system end to end to to be doing a, a neural computation, and there's a lot of people working on uh, uh, more. Uh, more kind of human computation uh, uh, a styled uh, way of doing things where um, uh, they're called like uh, spiking neural networks or uh, neuromorphic computation that uh, uh, in memory compute and, and the like that uh, uh, it's getting a little bit closer to the way that, that humans compute things. And I don't mean that in the sense of like, uh, there's a, a bunch of meat in there uh, uh, doing the computation. I mean, in the sense that uh, uh, like mathematically, if you uh, look at what the brain is doing, it's it's a bit closer to that. Like it's computing on uh, continuous values instead of on these uh, uh, discrete binary values that uh, uh, we've, we've built up all of our compute infrastructure on. So I, I think it's, um, I, I think we're, um, getting and getting to the end of Moore's law, I think we are getting to uh, really the next phase of, of opportunity in computing that we can no longer rely on uh, just shrinking these things down. And now we can think a little bit more about making uh, strange and exotic forms of computation and going back to uh, like where we were in the seventies, where you had a lot of fighting over uh, analog versus digital computation, where, uh, analog, it just sounds old and, uh, and uh, out of touch and everything, but it actually has a lot of uh, useful properties when it comes to uh, intelligence. And uh, we just haven't figured out how to use those um, design principles in a, in a way that uh, is paired with our now modern understanding of how we can compute a neural network. I feel that, you know, if we come together, create collaboration, there will be acceleration in technology and these huge innovations, you know, which, which, which you, could, you could figure out, you know, so, so that's my point of view. So, you know, uh, there is obviously, I mean, all of these companies who are, who are creating some 
create solutions and frameworks. You know, recent uh, technological advancement, artificial intelligence being GPT-3, uh, you know, which can, you know, can be text to code and so many other things. There's AlphaFold2, which is kind of, they say they'll solve the protein folding problem. Then there's Mu0, where you don't need to give it, uh, you know, your your rules, but it can play any game. So as somebody who's been invested in AI, what, what's your views on these uh, recent advancements? I think they are very impressive engineering advancements. Um, I, I feel feel somewhat uh, uh, kind of tortured by, uh, by them as well in the sense that uh, a, a pitfall in, in AI uh, that is uh, many people have, have fallen through, uh, fallen into in the years, has been um, that every time you solve a problem you formerly believed to be associated with general intelligence, you then redefine it so that it is no longer associated with that. So, for instance, people said if you solve chess, like you know, the smartest people know chess. Like chess is a a, a really deep play game, and then people figured out how to to do that fairly early in uh, the development of, of AI and. Uh, it's really just kind of brute forcing the problem, like trying a, a bunch of different stuff. And there's some heuristics and other intelligence you put on top of it. But uh, we look at that now and we're like, yeah, we've de- we've defined that to be AI, but it, it like it really isn't. It's it's not that. And uh, uh, I feel like with uh, I, a lot of these modern systems that are trained on like the entire internet, like more. Uh, spoken and written word um, uh, than has ever been available to any computer before. Uh, that it seems like uh, if we keep on scaling this, um, it might uh, get harder and harder to distinguish it from general intelligence, and maybe that's all it takes. Um, but I, I just I hope we're more than that. Uh, I I hope that uh, uh, there's a little bit more than just uh, uh, throw an increasing mountain of data at it, and then it'll become more and more mysterious in the way it behaves and the things it can produce. Um, I, and I hope that I'm not uh, deluding myself when I look at that to say uh, we're somehow uh, special and that there there is more to intelligence than that. Or cognitive structure, I, I mean, or, or the physical universe. Uh, I mean, you know, if you go deep down into everything we made out of atoms, now yes, we know so little about it. Both you know, even our universe and even our brain, you know, and somehow both of them like you know behave very similarly. I was having a conversation with Randall Coney, I mean, he was a neuroscientist earlier, and he's kind of working on whole brain emulation, and uh, you know, there is so much little we know of it. But yes, things are opening up to a point where it's starting to get very, very exciting. And that excites me that we are finally understanding. I mean, I cannot say finally understanding. We we are understanding what both is, whether it's the outward universe or the inward universe. And both of this, if understood, can open up and completely transform mankind. And I'm excited for this space. And that's the reason I do this podcast where I feel that human creativity, ingenuity is, you know, infinite. I mean, you know, we can, we are possible for so much more and we are just scratching the surface. And for the first time in human history, I don't know whether that's a right statement, 
I think the world has come together, and thanks, and that is happening. I think only and only because of technology, it it has given us an opportunity for you, me, and the entire world to create. I mean, communicate and 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 push at those things which you thought was impossible. You know, we we are kind of now that the word impossible is being you know pushed at. You know, that's the reason I call my podcast. change i am possible because i feel that there's nothing which is impossible and this you can like really keep on pushing at it we can i think we we are the gods because i mean if if you look inside i mean you said we are we are very special somehow i feel that we are not so special i mean because if we can uh, 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 ourselves or body a human body or biological self is made out of trillions of, of cells which function because of electricity now or brain We got eighty billion neurons and hundred trillion synapses. They function because of electricity. And so, are we? Are we mechanical by nature or biological? That's this thing. So, so, so it, would you like to paint a future? Where does the world go in the next ten years? Where where would you see yourself in the next ten? I think we need to continue exploring the duality of. Uh, of artificial intelligence and uh you know minimize the bad and uh, uh maximize the the good and um uh there there's tremendous uh risks and opportunities in both and i'm hoping that uh we've made enough progress in ai as a as a research field at this point that uh we can now really start taking out of the hands of people like me that have uh, uh been uh, you know mostly just heads down on uh, on coding these things and training these models and uh put it in the hands of people that uh know how to make the good in the world and put it in the hands of the people that know how to uh ensure that the that system when it's in the world is uh is not doing bad and um Uh, we we have this uh kind of almost uh priesthood sense towards ai at this point that i don't think is is healthy and that uh we need to get as many people that are um that uh understand the development and uh, safe application of these, these systems and we'll be a lot better for it um as we move from uh ai being something that uh uh sits up on a pedestal to something that is just laced through every other a field of uh of research and engineering uh we're going to see a a great uh flourishing of of society and um it's on us to to make sure that that's a um that's a correct statement so next 10 years i i think it's it's going to be a ride i uh good and bad things are are going to happen uh changes is, is rarely comfortable but uh in the end this is a, a worthy place for Uh, humanity to go to and we can go there together wow what a profound note to uh, end on change is innovative and you said minimize the bad maximize the good in that note to my listeners if you like what you see in here please press the subscribe button until next time so thank you thank you so much really appreciate it